Hi everyone, I'm your host, Corinne Stone, and welcome to my new podcast, Mouthful. On today's episode, we're going to get a little more personal. I always listen to your suggestions for what I should discuss next because I want to make sure that I'm giving you what you want and I thought the suggestion to be more personable on my next episode was a great idea. So today, I've chosen to turn my first writing piece into an audio and if you've stuck around for the past two years, you'll recognize the title. I can't afford to not want to kill myself. I wrote this piece roughly two years ago, and although I have been writing for as long as I can remember, this is what sparked the feeling that I have now to help other people with their healing journey. So, I'm going to take the time to read this piece aloud, and then we'll discuss. can't afford to not want to kill myself. March 20th, 2020, I made a decision that changed my life tremendously. I didn't choose that day, but it happened. I chose to end my life. I woke up that morning and it hadn't been known that I didn't want to be alive anymore. I turned off my phone. I wasn't myself for months and no one noticed. It was in my head that no one was going to be able to help me this time. This was something that I needed to do. I've always thought people's lives were always better off without me. I didn't want to be a burden anymore. I've held on to this feeling for as long as I can remember. It was my time to go. I had just left my friend's house and I was on my way home. I wasn't even crying. I decided to make a left instead of a right, and there I was, in the pharmacy parking lot. I walked inside, over to the counter, and I bought a water bottle and acetaminophen. 500 milligrams per caplet says not to take more than 4,000 milligrams in 24 hours. I took 15 caplets. That's 7,500 milligrams. I drove home. It was so quiet. No one heard me come in. It started to get cold, and I was becoming very tired. My mom found me. She kept yelling at me, I remember. She put her fingers on my wrist, and she called the hospital. She kept asking me how I felt, and all I could say was I was tired, and she told me to please not close my eyes. She carried me into her car. She screamed at everyone we passed to move out of the way, and she kept tapping her steering wheel every time we would hit a red light. We got to the hospital, and she carried me inside, and they put me in a wheelchair. I was pushed to the back and given my bracelet. They kept asking me questions, but all I could think of was that I just wanted to go to sleep. They laid me in a hospital bed in a room with a wall made out of glass and assigned a nurse to watch me from the outside. 
Another nurse came in and took my blood, but left the catheter there. She brought me scrubs and socks and walked me to the bathroom. She helped me pee into a cup and then helped me change. My arm was bruised from the catheter and her bending my arm through my sweater. They took everything, from my phone to shoes to my bra and underwear. This was around noon. I came back to the room and a nurse was in there squeezing two tubes of charcoal into styrofoam cups. I had to drink every bit of it. It took me four hours to finish, and for those four hours, I was by myself, locked in this room while someone stared at me. They wouldn't even give me water to wash my mouth out. After I finished, a CPS worker came in. She told me my mom had left and went home the moment that they took me. She told me my mom wanted me to go away. I cried. That's all I did. I cried. I couldn't do anything right. I couldn't even kill myself. I talked to the CPS worker for a bit. She told me she would be right back, but I ended up falling asleep. I didn't realize that two hours had passed. The CPS worker came back and woke me up, and she asked me what I wanted to do. I was 18, and when you're 18, you're an adult. You can't be admitted by force unless they believe you are a danger to yourself or anyone else. I want to go home. I know what's best for me, and if you send me away, I will hate myself more. I will go to therapy, I will take medication, but whatever you do, please do not send me away. She told me she'll talk to my doctor. I was alone again for another hour. It's 7 p.m. She came back with paperwork and told me my doctor said that I'm being discharged as long as my tests come back as negative for poisoning after drinking the charcoal. I didn't get discharged until around 10 p.m. They gave me my belongings back and told me to call someone to come pick me up. I didn't even know who to call. After about 10 minutes, I decided to just call my mom. I had to beg her to come get me. I sat there until a security guard came and walked me out to her. I was in my scrubs and socks. He opened the doors for me and there she was, standing there, staring at me. I walked up to her and I hugged her. All I could say was I was so sorry and we cried in each other's arms. The following Monday, I had an appointment set up for IOP therapy. IOP stands for Intensive Outpatient Program which is group therapy at the hospital. Group is every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. It's an eight-week program, and it was required. If I didn't go, I would be sent to Aurora Mental Facility for up to a year. It was an either-or situation. The IOP program is $300 per session, 24 sessions, which is roughly $7,200 that I do not have and that's with insurance. We told my therapist that we couldn't afford it, so she gave me a free session to go to that Thursday to see if it was worth putting forth all of that money. I did. I loved it. But I couldn't pay for it. That Thursday morning, she took me downstairs to the registration area after a group and helped me sign up for Access, known as Access Insurance for Health. She said it would cover for therapy so that I would be able to go. It took me three weeks to get approved. 
That's three out of eight sessions gone. That Monday morning, before I had left for group, I got a phone call. I was told to call access to make sure that it covers. After making me wait three weeks to get approved, when my therapist was sure that it would, I did. They said no. It was an absolute train wreck. I just wanted some fucking help. I got a call from my therapist again and she asked why I hadn't come to the following sessions. And I told her it was because neither one of my insurance I have covered the cost. She told me she would call me back to let me know if I would be able to come to future appointments. A week went by. Four out of eight. We're at half. I finally got a call back and she told me she was sorry and that I will not be able to attend any other sessions. I was only able to go to the one. I tried to tell myself that one was better than none. But was it? I asked if there were any other free support groups and I was told that there was, but only for AA and grief. The world wonders why suicide rates are so high. They wonder why people never ask for help. I can't afford to not want to kill myself. Read that again. After a month having gone by, I got a bill from the hospital regarding my incident. $14,000. $14,000 and for what? For making me drink charcoal? For the therapy I can't go to? And no, asking for an itemized bill did not work. I wanted to kill myself even more. I felt like the one time I was really trying to receive help and I couldn't. I felt helpless. I felt trapped. I am the reason that I am still alive. A drive to the hospital may have saved me physically, but I am the reason that I am still here. No one else. No number of explanations can make anyone understand why I did what I did. Most do not see my battle, so they don't know what it cost for me to get to where I am, or was. A lot of terrible things have happened to me throughout my lifetime. Things still are. Things I'm not ready to speak of yet. But what I am ready for is to spread awareness, to heal not only myself, but others. But I couldn't heal because I kept pretending that I wasn't hurt. If you cut your arm, you'd get stitches, right? Yet I chose to walk around with my heart cut wide open. I was not prepared for how lonely healing and growth can be. It's like climbing a mountain and every few steps, there's less and less people on the journey with you. The closer you get to the top, the more proud you feel, but then you look back and wonder if anyone will ever join you. The scariest moment is always just before you start. But running from healing is just running from your purpose. I spent so long not knowing myself that I can't believe anyone else ever knew me either. What I do know is my path is more difficult because my calling is higher. It's not personal. It's just not in alignment. Regret will always show its face when we are hurting, but it won't heal you. It will encourage us to remain stuck in the past to dwell. We cannot control others or circumstances, 
We can only control our responses. We define ourselves far too often by our past failures, but that is not you. The past is, there's nothing you can do about it. So it's just baggage. You let it go and you feel a lot lighter. Until we forgive ourselves, we keep sabotaging ourselves. Healing requires seeing ourselves with grace and compassion. We are capable of more than our worst moments. It's not what they call you. It's what you answer to. Thank you guys for letting me take the time to read that aloud to you. Again, that was the first article I ever published two years ago, and I'm excited to discuss it with you. Okay. As you can tell, I was in a very dark place. It had been that way since I was about 12 or 13 years old. When I first published this piece, I remember the question that I got asked the most was, so what pushed you to that point? What made you finally decide to go through with it? For many people, this will seem insensitive, but I didn't necessarily take it that way. I knew people were going to be curious, and I knew that if I was willing to be open and honest about this, I had to be prepared for the type of questions that people were going to ask. The answer to that question is nothing. Nothing pushed me. I was having an okay day, but I think that is what is scary about depression and suicidal thoughts. One day, you are just finally okay. And by okay, I mean ready, content, at peace, but not with life, with the intent to end it. Although I explained it briefly in the article, I was just having a normal day, and I was just driving home, and I took a different turn. That's all. There were a lot of things going into my life around that time, and unfortunately, COVID became far more present, and we were only in the beginning of a lockdown. I had just lost my job, I had to move back in with my family, and I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship. And I had already been struggling with my mental health way before that. When you struggle with depression, sometimes there is no reason. Depression feels like constant agony. I would sit in my closet in complete darkness and just cry. And it just hurt so bad to cry. Living felt like a constant feeling of defeat. I struggled severely in high school, and for those of you who knew me during that time know the terrible things that I endured, which can be another topic for another day, but I did not feel like I had lived a happy life, and I didn't think that I ever would. My life almost became entirely more insufferable after my attempt. I felt like everyone was walking on constant eggshells around me, which now I understand, but at the time... That is one of the worst things that you can do to someone who just made that decision. But so is acting like they didn't just try to end their life. It's almost as if there is no win to the situation. Personally, I wanted people to know how unhappy I had become. And I wanted people to know that life isn't always a great experience. 
I wanted people to know that their actions can truly affect someone's everyday decision to keep on living. I know a lot of people will hear this and think, but you can't let other people have that much control over your life. But to live your life completely alone can be intolerable. Life without someone else accompanying you at times seems pointless. You're just going to school and then work and then home? Life has so much potential to be such a wonderful experience, but it can also be gruesome, and I don't think it should be spent alone. I don't think we were given a life to not live it. After my attempt, it took me three months to get back out of my family's house, which doesn't seem like that long of a time, but when you're sad, it almost feels as if your days are longer than 24 hours. You can't wait until it's over, but it feels like the daylight will never come. I moved out, and my relationship with my family was not doing too well, and I needed to find another job. It took me four months after moving out, but I was constantly living paycheck to paycheck, and it just felt so pointless. What am I doing? I am just here. I wake up and I go to work and I work more than 40 plus hours just to have an inconsistent schedule. When I moved, I moved to a whole different city an hour away from my family. I didn't know anyone in the area except for my roommate, Leah, who I'm so grateful for that made this what we deemed a huge move at the time with me. I wasn't entirely alone, but Leah and I are different people. We have different experiences and have different feelings. So it still felt like I was alone. Our apartment wasn't the best either. We had so many legal issues going on and I almost at one point wanted to sue because of the shit we went through. It was a never-ending battle. Six months later, Lee and I found another apartment and we moved a little further east. I wanted to get as far as we could from where we had came from. I don't want to be near anyone or anything that was involved in my life for those past seven to eight years. I think after we made that move... Even though I was still struggling deeply with my depression, I think once it came around to my 20th birthday, so about four months later, I decided to go skydiving. I was afraid of heights, and I know my little sister listens to my podcast, so Talia, if you are listening, I don't know if you remember when we were in Montana and on top of the Ferris wheel, you were rocking it back and forth, and I just burst into tears, and someone had to ask you to stop. So yeah, back to my point, absolutely terrified, but I made the decision to go skydiving and my dad actually went too. He was also scared. We had to sign a waiver and of course it states that your family can't sue if you happen to die, but it's 50-50. You either do or you don't and I obviously didn't. But I think not only him trying it with me, but signing that waiver really put it into perspective that my life could end at any possible moment. So, I jumped out of that fucking plane. And it was so fucking freeing to see the world, to see how truly big it is, and to see how truly small we are, and how small some of my obstacles started to seem from all the way up there. I know it seems like something that would happen out of a movie, but this isn't just where my depression stopped. I still struggle with it today, but it opened my eyes. I don't know what caused me to go skydiving. 
I just had a feeling one day and told myself, I have to do this before I die. But I say that with a lot of things. I want to see Willow Smith in concert before I die. I want to see New York before I die. But I mentioned this to my dad and he made it happen for me. After my 20th, something in my life just sort of shifted. Because I chose to go out of my comfort zone, something changed. I was still trying to get through the hardships, but all I could do was tell myself to be more consistent with my writing. Not only do I treat my blog as some sort of quote-unquote diary, I also create shadow work questions, which I would love to provide for you guys down below on my website, and you can use them as a way to pinpoint certain feelings. Even if you don't write them down, I find it extremely helpful to just ask yourself these questions that relay to internal emotions. It'll have you in thought about certain situations, so as long as you don't knock it till you try it, I find it helpful. Writing was the only healthy coping mechanism that worked for me. It took me years to find that out. Like I had mentioned previously, I have been writing for a long time, but until I truly channeled my anger and hurt into what I was putting down on paper, I finally figured it out. During this time period, I asked myself, do I even have a purpose? And every single time I told myself no, I had gotten into a much healthier place mentally, but I still couldn't seem to find a reason to be here. And I constantly and still sometimes feel like other people don't want me to be here either. It is just a constant back and forth with yourself to the point that you're literally at war with your fucking self. And writing is still difficult for me at times. I find myself crying when I'm writing a new piece but I try to look at it as having sympathy for my past self. I'm glad that I am able to feel empathy for who I once was and for the things that I've endured. I used to be so angry at the life that I had been given, although I always tell myself and others that just because other people have it worse does not mean that what you're going through is any less important than theirs. We only know what we go through, so what is seemingly worse to us is what is worse to us. But I'm glad that I am no longer angry at myself or my past. I am the only one who thinks of these things on a daily basis. Do other people remember from time to time things that happened to me? Sure. But are they worrying about it on a constant loop like I am and beating me up for it? No. If we refer back to the piece I just read, until we forgive ourselves, we keep sabotaging ourselves. Healing requires seeing ourselves with grace and compassion. Besides writing, one thing I know that I really needed to focus on getting better at was telling people no. And I know I am not the only one in this same boat. I have always struggled with being a people pleaser and most of my struggles were because I would let anyone do anything without the repercussions. I would never give myself the time that I needed. I also would constantly be around people who made me feel anything other than happy. And that was one of the things that I needed to start focusing on and it really helped. I started to pay attention to how I felt after being with someone. 
once someone had left after us hanging out, I felt relieved that they were gone. Or if I felt any of my energy had been drained, if I felt even the slightest bit of miserable, I started to think about why I needed to let them go or why they made me feel that way. And letting people go is one thing that is still so hard for me to this day. Letting go of people you love and care for will never be easy. And to me, if it doesn't hurt you in any way, the friendship must have not been that important to you. I will always give someone an explanation. I will never tell someone that I have to go without letting them know why. Majority of their responses back to me is actually what deciphers my next move. There were a lot of times where the other person didn't even care or at least reacted in a way that was supposed to make me feel that way. But after I started to really consider how others were making me feel and how they responded to me, I started to realize that there were many things in my life that were just going to have to change and I just needed to want it bad enough. And I did. I did want it bad enough and I still do. May the people who don't choose you be the clear sign that you deserve so much more. There are so many people in this world that I will never again let one person or five ruin the entire experience for me. There are good people out there. But if you give up on people and experiences and life and just stop right in your tracks, you will never turn that one corner and run into something that will change your life forever. I wanted to get better and I wanted to open my eyes in the morning and breathe the fresh air and feel the sun on my skin. But I always thought that I couldn't change because the way that I looked at it was that what if I change something and my life gets worse? I already know what I'm dealing with now, so what if it gets worse? But I started to ask myself, but what if it gets better? If there's any advice that you can take from this episode today, it is to take one more step. If it doesn't hurt after that one more step, then take another one and keep going. Do something that you are scared of. Go skydiving. Skydiving was one of the best decisions I have ever made. Publish that writing, that new song, start a new hobby. Oh, someone's going to dislike something you just started doing? Please. Anyone who hates on someone who is learning something new must not understand that you don't just come into this world having the knowledge of everything that you want to do. That's why classes and training exist. How will you ever improve if you don't start something? There isn't something to improve if it doesn't exist. And if there's anything that I have learned from someone who is going to make you feel inferior, it's that people treat you the way that they feel about themselves. Someone can truly love you and want to be with you, but if they think that they don't deserve you, that is not empathy. That is a fucking warning. Pay close attention to how you feel after you do anything in this life. If you listened to my last episode, I mentioned that I don't want to die and wish that I had done more. Do you? I know it's easier said than done. Trust me. I still have terrible days where I wonder if there is anything more to life than this. But I also have the most wonderful days when I do something that nurtures my soul and when I remove things that no longer serve a purpose in my life. 
Do you know how many hobbies that I have? I used to tell myself that I could never crochet, but now I make clothes and blankets. I'm still learning, but I've sold a few things, and each new item that I create is better than the next. And I learned from YouTube. So if you are too scared to start an in-person class or ask for help, simple. YouTube. YouTube has over 38 million channels. Even if you are just looking on how to become more productive, that is something that you can nurture you and your life. Thomas Frank makes videos on how to be more productive. The School of Life is a collection of psychologists and writers devoted to helping people live more resilient lives. Practical engineering, you can learn about infrastructure and the human-made world around us. YouTube is free. You can learn so much to better your life just at the tip of your fingers. And I know that if you're listening to this podcast that you have access to YouTube, so don't give me that bullshit. Moral of the story, if you want to get better, that's it. You have to want it. And I mean fucking want it. You can say that you want it, but what are you doing? I hated my job, and I mentioned that in my last episode. So what did I do? I got a new one. And again, I know it's easier said than done, but it really is as simple as that. You can say you want things to change, but are you going out of your comfort zone? What steps are you taking to achieve these things? If I can give an example... I wanted to find other options besides Twitter and Instagram to get exposure. So I started my podcast. I was tired of feeling how I was feeling and I wanted to help other people, but there was only so much that I was getting across by posting on social media. So I started a podcast. That ad at the beginning of my episode, it is totally free to start a podcast. I do have the luxury to have someone help with my audio engineering But Anchor also has editing features for you, and it's actually so much easier to record off of your phone than my computer. Some of my audio doesn't even need to be edited, because just using wired headphones, ew, so gross, I know, the audio does so well. But besides that point, the podcast is performing at a fantastic rate, and it is finally getting the exposure that I have been looking for. I also decided to start streaming when I play video games, which, believe it or not, some people have commented on my voice and have told me that I have the perfect voice for a podcast, which not only pushed me to start one, it actually helps me promote it. I added all of my socials on Twitch and I'm going to eventually add a camera to my streams as well and then post those on YouTube. And every social media I have is just going to promote one another, which I have found to be extremely helpful. And for someone who just started playing video games only a couple of months ago, is not a pro and doesn't even have a camera, I have a little following, but definitely is a lot better than I thought it was going to be as a beginner. But they have all benefited me greatly. But do you understand how my main goal here was to get exposure and I took the steps to do so? It's because I asked myself, what do you want as your end goal? helping people. So I asked myself again, what can I do right now with the resources that I have? And it was, I can make other accounts that all correspond with each other. Once I took that first step, it opened a whole new line of steps that I could take to reach that end goal. 
There are endless possibilities. And despite that I still struggle with depression, please take it from me. You have to want it. And if you have any other questions or concerns on how to take that first step, I really hope you guys know that you can email me in the email that I provide below in these episodes. But I hope you know you can also DM me on Instagram. And for those of you who have my personal cell, you can always reach me there. I don't think that we are born and automatically given a purpose. I believe that we give ourselves a purpose and I want to help people and I want to be present and I want to make a change. Ask yourself, am I happy? And if the answer is no, ask yourself, what is something that I can do right now to change my answer to yes? If you don't know, ask yourself a different way. What is making me sad? angry, miserable, what is affecting me negatively, and then try and take the steps you can to remove that. When I started to realize that I was miserable at work, I started to look for a new opportunity. Never leave your job without a backup, unless they fire you, but that's besides the point. But once I found the new opportunity, I made the next step, which was submitting my resignation and finding out when my end date would be. There were a few other things that I did in between, like consider the benefits that I was sacrificing for this new position. But what was most important to me in that moment was I may be sacrificing physical items for this new job, but I would rather do that than sacrifice my mental health for what I'm doing now. At the end of the day, I just want to be happy and I want other people to want the same for themselves. Think of your end goal and work backwards if you have to. But just know that it is possible, and I know that you can do it. I hope you guys gained something from today's episode. If you are listening, you are one of the many reasons that I keep doing what I'm doing, and I wouldn't be where I am without you. Please know you are never as alone as you feel. Thank you again for listening, and stay tuned for a new episode every Sunday. I always have a mouthful. Bye, everyone. See you next time.